I might have to uh, watch my back since I asked Aaron to read 22 verses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so realized I've also run out of space on the podium here. My wife likes to say when I, I, I go somewhere, I kind of spread out slowly, which I'm going to have to spread out a little bit because I need space up here to see everything. <laughs> um, we're continuing our, our family playlist sermon series, our Spotify theme sermon series, as it's become known among some of the staff members. And this is a sermon series, if you're just joining us this week, where we've asked for the last month the congregation to submit songs. And it's still not too late. If the links are live, you can still go and submit them. Um, we've been getting a few more people submitting songs every week. But your favorite songs, both secular and religious, both worship music and what you hear on the radio for the five people who listen to radio anymore and the rest of the people who listen to streaming music, um, or the one person like me who listens to Pandora sometimes, because that's still a thing. I will say I was impressed because some people this week submitted links to Yahoo Music, and I did not know that was a thing. But it's a thing, so there you go. But we're, we're taking the submit, submitted songs, and we're matching them with themes from the book of Psalms, because the book of Psalms is literally just songs. And we're exploring the reality of human existence between what we listen to now and that book of Psalms in our Bible, and the fact that the expressions, the themes, the things that are lifted up in the book of Psalms tend to be some of the same themes that we still deal with and listen to today in our own music. And I want to say, you guys are a very eclectic group. I mean, a very eclectic group. We had everything this week. This week, we're talking about sappy love songs. We had everything from Taylor Swift, which I have to be brutally honest. I know very little about Taylor Swift. Um, I had to go to social media to help them help me figure out this stuff. I know just admitting that, I've lost about 20 friends <laughs> among the clergy who were all at the Taylor Swift concert the other day. <laughs> No joke, I was at a meeting this week in the conference office, and every single person sitting at the table with me, was except one guy, was talking about how they took their family to see Taylor Swift. And I was like, wow, I really can't contribute to this conversation at all. Anyway, so uh, one of the things that's interesting, we had that in one end, and we had an Elvis song. We have, we have songs from all over the place. And it's interesting because when we deal with love, we deal with some very basic human realities that we all experience at one point or the other, whether it's mostly a love of a romantic interest, whether it's a love of family, whether it's the shared love between friends, whether it might even be love of a sports team. I know none of you are that crazy about sports teams here. And you have this, this desire. And it made me think at the start of this as I was beginning to dig through songs, we we are so engrossed in love songs in our culture, and it's something we don't even think about because almost every song you hear on the radio, almost every song you hear played has something to do with love. Something to do with that relational aspect of one person to another. And it made me think back a ways to middle school. One of the things that brought me into the church, well, there were really two things that brought me into the church. One, it was proximity. It was a block away from the middle school or the junior high I went to, and my sister and her friends would go, and they played in the youth handbell choir. 
That's a thing back in the day, youth handbell choir. And I thought I'd play in the youth handbell choir, and so I went, and after a couple weeks, the, the choir director pulled me aside and said, you know, God gives everyone certain gifts, but not everyone gets every gift. And so instead of going to handbell choir, I would sit in the hall while my sister was in handbell choir. But the, the other thing was our church did junior high dances after every football game on Friday night because there was literally nothing else to do in our town. And it was almost like a cheat code for the youth group to print free money. And they made a killing charging $2 a student to come into these dances. We even had a fancy coat check, because if you were in the youth group, you always had to work the coat check. And you'd take people's bags and coats so they wouldn't take them into the dark gym or the dimly lit gym. And it was interesting, in the dimly lit gym, you had a bunch of middle school students having their first encounter with love. And they would dance to these songs, and they would do the middle school slow dance where your arms are as far out as possible, and you don't really move your feet, you know, you just kind of sway back and forth like this. And our youth director, because every youth director has the same corny jokes, would say, you know, leave room for Jesus. But these, these kids are leaving room for like Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And, and if the Pope happened to be there too, him as well. And so, so it was awkward. But I remembered, those are the first times I really noticed that these love songs had any sort of significance in their words and the emotions they conveyed. I remember sweaty, palmed, dancing with my friend's sister, and Edwin McCain's Albee came on through the loudspeakers. It's a perennial 90s love song, almost cheesy. It's so, so sweet in its content that it might give your soul diabetes. I'll be your crying shoulder. I'll be love suicide. I'll be better when I'm older. Well, I hope so, because you're 14 right now. (laughs) I'll be the greatest fan of your life. Grandiose lyrics he sings about his love interest. And we have these 13 and 14-year-old kids dancing to it. And, and, And it dawned in my mind, like, wow, this is... You know, as cheesy as it sounds, this is profound on what they're saying to one another. And then instantly the thought fell out of my head because I remembered I was dancing with my friend's sister and my palms were really sweaty. I was hoping she didn't notice it. And also, doing the whole swaying thing, I wasn't quite sure if you know me, I was swaying on beat, which I was not. And, but there were songs like that that would play, in, in my experience, Truly Madly Deeply by Savage Garden is another one that... Honestly, as I was writing this, I got confused with the first song because they sound so similar. Or even the, the biggest one from the late 90s, the one that got played over and over and over and over again. I don't know which one of you submitted this, and I'm kind of sad you did. But Celine Dion, my heart will go on. My heart will go on. There was... You know, that's, that's the biggest crock. You know, James Cameron is wrong. He could have fit on the door, but we're not going to go into that. What we're going to look at forcefully in the exegesis of this sermon is not the fact that he could have survived and they could have had a life together and the whole movie didn't have to happen, but what we're going to look at is the fact that this person's head over heels 
with someone. And the song speaks of it crossing, transcending the divisions of life and even death as it's implied by the movie. If you listen to these songs and you get past the cheesy things and the jokes, you see something powerful about our human experience. From the sweaty-palmed middle school boy all the way up to the people who've been in committed relationships, we are hardwired for this love. It's something deep that speaks to us as people, as if we were not made to be alone, as if we were made to be with others, as if our heart yearns for something more than just day-to-day mundane life. We need something more than the boring Tuesdays in the office or the checkout lines at the grocery store. But we desire something deep and abiding, some sort of love. Have you ever wondered that's why we can fill stadiums with this music time and time again, whether it is stadiums where people are singing this and it's something you would think of. Think of like the old Elvis song. We're going to get to an Elvis song someone submitted a little bit. You know, and people would just pass out over him, quite literally. And Or you can think of all the sweaty teenagers at some punk rock show like the Warp Tour down in a big mosh pit in front of a stage in the middle of the summer, if you've ever looked at the lyrics of those songs, 90% of them are love songs. Or you can fill whole stadiums better than even the sports teams that occupy them. Look at the Taylor Swift concert my friends are all talking about Tuesday. How she has filled that stadium over and over and over again. And the starting lineup for the Cowboys only wish they could fill the stadium that way. Sorry, David. But there's something innate about this that's nested deep within our existence. We desire that love. And it's not even a new thing. Looking at Taylor Swift's songs, thank you very much, Facebook comment section. You know, some of them aren't new and novel concepts. Love Story came out when I was in college. And it's literally just a retelling of Romeo and Juliet. The same Romeo and Juliet they forced me to read in English class in high school. And yet the story, the content, the narrative continues to connect through the ages because it is such an innate part of you and me. This love, it permeates what it means to be human. It transcends the realities that we face and it has nested itself in our hearts. And that's easy and all to say, you know, we can say that. But one of the things about that love that when we begin to dig under the surface is a level of vulnerability. That's really at the end what love is. The fact that we can turn to someone else, another person, a friend, a romantic interest, someone that we love, someone that we care for, and we can bear the parts of us that we don't want the rest of the world to see. 
that we can share, not just at a surface level, but at a very deep level, who we are with them. And that's also, if you've ever wondered why it's so nerve-wracking, when you start out in a relationship and you're always caught up in, in, with butterflies and knots in your stomach, it's because you're scared emotionally of the vulnerability you're going to share with that person. What happens if you reveal who you really are and they reject you? What happens if someone reveals who they really are to you and you reject them? That's what makes us nervous. That's what makes us scared. That's what makes junior high boys' palms sweat. They don't know it. They can't vocalize it. They can't put it to words. But that's what it is. And that's what it is about us when we get nervous about developing relationships with other people. It's also one of the chief things I remember from my counseling classes that people struggle with when they have issues with relationships is it's issues sharing that vulnerability that raw emotional honesty with another. Maybe it's because they feel judged. Maybe it's because they feel uh, that they won't be accepted. It might be because they don't feel that the other person or partner or individual will take kindly to who they really are or how they've changed or how they've matured. But when you look at family therapy, one of the chief things you have to get people to do is to share that vulnerability with the rest of the family or with their partner or with whoever. And so we see in Psalm 103, yes, the whole thing, yes, all 22 verses. Well done, Aaron. <laughs> it's interesting, Psalm, you know, this section of Psalms, there are four of them, and they're, they're seen as these kind of grand statements about who God is and what God does in our relationship to God. And out of the four of them, Psalm 103, it's 103, 104, 105, 106. 103 is an individualistic psalm. It's a focus that the author takes on what God is doing to the individual, within the individual, and through the individual. And what's really important, I think, is a lot of the Psalms call people to a generalized view or a generalized reflection of God. But this Psalm, if you look at the very beginning of it, I apologize, all the people on the stream, I'm about to swipe away to my notes here. But if you look at it, it's interesting in this Psalm because as he begins writing, this Psalm doesn't summon people to that point of self-reflection, doesn't summon the nation of Israel. That's going to come in, in the next chapter. He doesn't summon the leaders or the priests or the sinners or the saints. He summons himself. The writer turns that introspective gaze not to the people reading, but to himself as he opens it in verse 1 and 2 and summons his own soul, my own soul. What we see in Psalm 103 is the author interacting distinctly with the good gifts and graces of God, but doing so in a very vulnerable way, bearing the fact that there are parts that he struggles with. And sure, it's hidden in this flowery language, or at least to me, because I don't like doing flowery language usually, but it's hidden in this flowery language of things like the grass 
fades and withers and dies, but the love of the Lord for those who love him endures forever. There's a whole middle section here where he struggles with his own mortality and insignificance in creation. Oh, but the Lord knows I'm just dust. Nothing more than dust. Bearing to God the vulnerabilities the author nests in his own heart about the fact that he'll be here today and gone tomorrow. And still yet, expressing the deep love. Not only that God has for him, but that he has for God. This psalm is the perennial love song to God. Sharing and bearing clearly the vulnerabilities of the faithful on a very individual level to the God who loves them. It's one of the things we fail to do. We're so busy thinking about how we should live, that we should live this way or do that and that, that we often sometimes forget that God's love lays bare all of the vulnerabilities and trappings of our own heart. In fact, if you begin breaking these love songs down, some of the ones you submitted, it really comes across clearly. That's the key component in a good love song, is that vulnerability. I think of uh, Counting Crows and Colorblind, which is just him, Adam Dirtz, the lead singer, playing on the piano. If you grew up in the 90s and watched Cruel Intentions, I did not, but my older sister did. That was one of the main songs from that movie. And it's a song about the singer... Learning to be vulnerable with the one he loves. I am colorblind, coffee black and egg white. Draw me out from inside, inviting the other party to pull who he really is out from the facade and the shielding he's put up around his heart. I mean, we see this vulnerability Time and time again in what makes not just a good love song, but one that stays forever like Psalm 103 that nests itself in our consciousness. I mean, you can look at the song, I Can't Help Falling in Love by Elvis. It really wasn't done by Elvis, but that's who you guys submitted. So that's the first one I'm rolling with. And the Elvis version, some of you might remember that. I can't help falling in love with you. Wise men say, only fools rush in but oh, I can't help falling in love with you. And it's such a staying song. It's not even Elvis' original song. I forgot who did it at first, but Elvis was the one that you submitted. And then it was redone in the 80s by UB40. I really don't know who UB40 was, but I do remember as a child hearing them on the radio a lot, a peppier version of the song. I can't help falling in love with you. The author bearing the vulnerability to the other person again that, wow, Everything about this seems kind of dumb, but I can't help it. There's something about me that desires you, and I'm failure, and I'm weak, and yet I love you. And they did it again by a cover band that I like when I went through my own music called Boyce Avenue, and they did a version of it too. And there's actually three or four more versions of it. If you watched Crazy Rich Asians, that movie, a few years ago, they had a really popular version that some lady did. 
The reason that we keep coming back to this song, though, is because in every generation, it speaks to that vulnerability in love. I can't help falling in love with you. In a similar way, we have songs like Every Breath You Take by The Police. Congrats on whoever submitted that one. Every breath you take, every move you make, I'll be with you. I'll be watching you. Which is, is again, like the, David, or like the David Crowder song, has some lyrics that are like, hmm, sounds a little bit on the verge of being a stalker. <laughs> I mean, the unforeseen kiss in that one song when I walked in this morning and the band was discussing it. But, you know, it's one of those perennial love songs where the person is, is, is admitting to the other person, I am completely consumed by you. And no matter what you do, no matter where you go, that will be my truth from the time forward. And it's funny because it, it, it's, it's taken in its context from the 80s by the police in a very positive tone. It's played in this major key where it, it, it's peppy and light and poppy. And you would hear it on the song or on the radio all the time as a song in heavy rotation. And yet if you go to someone like Chase Holderfield's uh, YouTube page, he's transposed it into a minor key. It's an artist who's known for taking major pop songs and rewriting them in minor keys. And although it holds some of the same emotional tones, the overall theming changes when it's in the minor key because it's someone who is so consumed by someone else, but because of the key change, it implies or feels like, at least for me, that they love this person even though they have lost that chance. Again, a deep vulnerability in loving and losing. And you see this everywhere in the love songs we have. You know, if you go all the way to the pop punk band Blink-182, thank you for whoever submitted a song after my own heart. You know, First Date talks about the vulnerability of someone going on a date for the first time, a step up from the sweaty-palmed middle school student to a sweaty-palmed high school student, and how they feel processing that, worrying, will she like me even? Am I going to mess all of this up before it begins? Or even someone like Jack Black in a Bowser suit, singing about Princess Peach, if you've ever played Mario Brothers, or seen the new movie, like one of our life groups has. Singing about how he is in love with the princess, which is probably the second best Mario Brothers-themed song, other than the Bowsetta song on social media. But all of these songs deal with this vulnerability. All of them. All these songs you've submitted that have to deal with love, whether they're country or they're, they're from the middle of last century or, or they're modern now, like Ed Sheeran's Perfect, deals with how vulnerable we can be and sharing that vulnerability with someone, even when the vulnerability is not returned like Taylor Swift's New Year's Day and they just become a memory. We share these things as people with one another. And what we struggle 
doing. Is even though we listen to it, even though we talk about it, even though we sing about it in the car when we think no one in traffic is watching, and even though it's something that is so deeply a part of who we are as humans, it becomes a focal point of our life when we share that special dance with someone. How often do we find this disconnect with God where we struggle to share that same vulnerability with him? How easy is it to sing along for you to can't help falling in love? But yet, how difficult can it be for even me to share my heart in the same way with the God who has created me? Bearing to him not just the good things I want him to see. Oh yeah, I preached a good sermon. Oh yeah, I went to that meeting like I was supposed to. Oh yeah, I did this and that. But also the bad things, the hardships, the failures, who I really am. Not just on Sunday morning, but every other day of the week. Because if we really do love our God, can we not share the same vulnerability that we share with the people we love the most? You know, it reminded me of uh, the first song that we danced to. I noticed a little bit ago, Brittany got up and walked out, thankfully. I'd owe her $20 otherwise. (laughs) If you want to know about that joke, grab me after service, I'll tell you. But, um, you know, at our wedding, as some of you know, I'm terrible at dancing, and we danced to a song uh, by a band called Dispatch called Walk With You. I'll walk with you using the stars as guide on a homeward path we go, knowing our time is nigh. And it was a song for us that that had deep meaning because it was a song that was playing in the background of the place I was that... When I, when I was set on a choice that led to me marrying her. It's a very long path to walk and kind of a little ironic, don't you think, about that. But it got me thinking, you know, when we think of those songs that are so loving and meaningful to us, it opens us up to that vulnerability. And it reminds me that I can also share that same kind of vulnerability that I've shared with her with the God who's created me. So I'm wondering, congregation, this wasn't on the the submittal list for the last two weeks, but what are those songs for you? What was the song that you danced to? Maybe at your wedding or with the person you loved. Maybe it's the song the two of you sang along with in the car together. What was that song? If someone says Limp Biscuit again this morning, you might see something special up here. (laughs) What was your song? You fill up my senses. We are family. It's a good one. What? Everlong. Really? I mean, Foo Fighters are a great band. I mean, no judgment. What else? What are those songs that speak that deep love for you that you hear and you instantly think of that other person? Wonderful tonight. 
God, what? God blessed the broken room. Yeah. Kissing you by Desiree. Lean on me. Lean on me. You know, it's funny. Because these songs, when you hear them, for the majority of you, whether it's a romantic interest, whether it's a friend, or whether it's a specific person in your life, that's who you think of instantly when you hear that song. You think of that person. You think of the joy that you've had. You think of the life that you might have shared. You think of the vulnerability, the heart of yours that they have seen. And it's funny because when we think of love songs, that's what we think of, and we think of that individual immediately. The song grabs our mind, if not our soul, and forces it to focus on that individual. Just like every time I hear that song from Dispatch, I think of that moment or that person. We do the same, and yet we don't realize, but we do the same with our faith. And that's one of the points I think that this psalmist is making when we remember the things God has done for us and the type of relationship we are in with our Creator. I was sitting in a a funeral yesterday uh, for a very distinguished person And the first song they played, the very first song, it's a song I've heard so many times. I've done over 100 funerals already. And almost every single one of them has played this song. It's verse, or not verse, it's hymn 314 in the old school hymnal. It says, I come to the garden alone. Well, the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And a lot of you might remember the chorus if you've been in church in the last century. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. It's, it's a hymn by Austin Miles called In the Garden. It's also one of the most popular hymns of the last century a love song. And for a lot of people, as they go through grief and mourning, they hear that song in the same way that our minds are grabbed and focused by the love songs, maybe from our weddings or from our childhood. This song grabs people's souls and it reminds them of not only that person, but the love of God that they've encountered in them. And so many, many times when we come to say our final goodbyes to people from the 20th century, this is the song, like yesterday, that is first played because it is a mixture of that power music has to focus us and reveal not only our vulnerabilities, but the great love we've experienced in Christ. And we see this not just with old songs, but in a very similar way. There's a song called Oceans that talks about the journey a person has through faith as they encounter hardships of life in ways revealing that their own vulnerability to God and the fact that God still answers it and caresses them through the pain as any loving parent would. Were you there when... They crucified my Lord. Another song. 
where the author, like any love song, is revealing the vulnerability of the singer as they remember the pain of Christ that we just celebrated. Or the song we just sang, how he loves us. Yeah, we joke about the one verse and the idea and the imagery of a kiss in, in, in a hymn. But really, it reveals that vulnerability, not just, and this one's interesting, not just our vulnerability in loving God, the fact that God catches us by surprise and takes our breath away, but the fact that God is vulnerable in loving us, revealing himself completely, declaring how great a desire Christ has for us. I mean, one of my favorites in that vein is, is an old hymn called What Wondrous Love Is This? Also, I like a modern version of, it, version of it by an artist called Chelsea Moon. But what wondrous love is this that the Lord of bliss would lay down his life for my soul. For my soul. As we listen to music, and we see the, the emotional connection it has, and we realize how much of that is tethered to this concept of love in our culture, we can never forget that we can't let it stop at the radio station, in the car. We can't let it stop at the end of our Spotify playlist. We can't let that concept of love encapsulated in the music we listen to rest just with the sweaty-palmed 14-year-old boys at the middle school dance. But it has to be something that becomes a part of our rich and varied relationship with our Creator. We've got to learn to remember how much we love our God and how much he desperately loves us. And remember it not just in these academic and sterile terms that us pastors are so good at, but we have to remember the depth of heart that the author of Psalm 103 brings, also the depth of heart that we hear in the music that we sing whether it's here on Sunday morning or in the car on I-35 because you're a better person than me and you're not frustrated at the traffic. Wherever we go, our love of God has to be one where we share who we are openly with Him, knowing that wherever you are on the path of life, Christ meets you. And as the psalmist declares this morning, or even as the songs, as modern as they are, as old as the hymns might be, state, He loves you. Might you go this week hearing the love songs, not just of our culture, but of our church, and remember that. You can share anything with our God. Because Christ, because of Christ and his great love. Go and bear your hearts to the Lord this week through the songs that you listen to, the songs that you sing.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.